Welcome to the Gospel City Church Podcast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you would hear, be challenged, and encouraged by this week's teaching. Head to gospelcitynow.com for more information. All right, well, good morning, church. As Pastor David just mentioned, uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at these six verses he just read. Um, and if you've ever looked at art, I, I had a friend who loved art. I, I'm not a big fan, but I love him. So I would go to all these museums and, you know, we'd look at all the pictures and things and all the stuff, right? Uh, and he'd be like, oh, that's so cool. That, that's a 19-whatever uh, frame by so-and-so. And he was so amazed by uh, all the history behind it and all the intricacies of the art uh, and I'd be sitting there going, like, that's just like a piece of paper with some stuff on it, right? Um, but the more we, you look at some of these things, the more you start to appreciate the beauty of them, whether it's art or nature or uh, whatever it is that you enjoy. Uh, it, even if you don't like it, as I didn't like art, I learned to appreciate the art. I learned to appreciate the history behind the art. Uh, but it took time. It took effort. It took looking and thinking and pondering and just sitting there and just kind of soaking it all in for me to be able to appreciate this piece of paper on a wall with some stuff on it. Um, And today we're going to look at a passage where the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us to consider or to look. Uh, Different translations have different words. The one in the ESV is consider. Uh, He's going to tell us to Look at Jesus, which he already said back in chapter 2, Pastor David preached on this, uh, where he says that we should not uh, drift away, but that we should have our minds focused on Christ. Uh, And Paul says something very similar in Colossians chapter 3, where he says that we need to set our minds on the things above. It's that same idea as looking or considering, thinking carefully about whatever it is that you're looking at or considering. Um, so today, we're going to see the same concept, the same idea, the same command from the writer of Hebrews. He's going to tell us to consider Jesus if we want to persevere, if we want to continue in the faith. We need to look carefully at Him. Uh, and that's what we're going to see in the, these six verses today. So we're going to look at what it is to consider, and then what exactly are we considering about Him. Um, so look at verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high, high priest of our confession. So we have this word, therefore. He's transitioning now into a different subject, and it links us back to what he's covered in chapters 1 and 2. If, you, if we go back to chapter 1 and 2, we'll see that he's had this theme, hence the, the, the theme that we had is better, uh, Jesus is better, and you see that theme throughout the entire letter of, to the Hebrews. Jesus is a better, chapter 1, prophet. He's, he brings the Word of God. He is the Word of God. Um, and we see that in the first few verses. Then we see that Jesus is better than angels. Angels are subjected under His feet. Uh, he is above angels. As great as angels are, they're not better than Jesus. Then we saw last week that Jesus is a better brother. Uh, We are brought into the family of God, and Jesus is our brother. Uh, And we saw that Jesus is a better high priest. Uh, He is the one who not only sacrificed, he didn't sacrifice a lamb, he sacrificed himself uh, so that we may have forgiveness of sins, or the word last week was propitiation. 
Uh, he was a propitiation for our sins. So, so far, that's what the writer of Hebrews has covered. He's shown us this big picture of Jesus. Jesus is better than all of these people and than all of these beings. He is better. He's a better prophet. He's a better priest. He's a better brother. He is better than angels. And now we get to this uh, verse, and he says, Therefore, so based on all of that, based on the fact that Jesus is better, holy brother, so if you're a believer, if you share in the heavenly calling, then he says, consider Jesus. There's the command. So if, if you love the Lord, if you've been saved by Him, the writer of Hebrews says to us, consider Jesus, which again means to direct our mind to something or to fix our thought on. These are some of the ways that it can be translated um, for us to, to have all of our minds centered on Jesus. That's what the word consider in this context means. So in other words, he's saying, I command you, I want you to have all of your thinking and your mind and your heart centered and focused on this one person because he's better than everyone else, because he's a better prophet, he's a better priest, he's a better than angels, he's, he's a better brother. An old preacher named Alexander McLaren said this about considering. He says, considering is an all-important exercise of mind and heart, without which there can be no vigorous Christian life in which I fear is woefully neglected by the average Christian today. There is no way by which we can bring an unseen person to have any real influence upon our lives except by the direction of our thoughts to Him. The focus of the eye must be accommodated to the object of vision before there can be any real sight of Him. We must sit before Him and be content to give Him time to the gaze if we are to get any good out of it. Nobody sees the beauties of a country who hurries through it in an express train. Uh, and I love that because it, it kind of paints us a picture of what the writer of Hebrews is saying. We can't get any good out of Jesus, to put it in those terms, if we hurry through it. If we don't sit and learn from Him and consider Him. If we don't sit and soak it all in, all of who He is and all of what He's done for us. And that's what Alexander McLaren is saying here, that unless we direct our mind and heart to him, it's like hurrying through a country in a train that goes really fast, and you don't see the beauty of it. You don't see the beauty of it. Charles Spurgeon says this, he, is, he uh, speaking of Jesus, is supremely worthy of our perpetual consideration from all points of view. The more you consider him, the more you may, for there is a depth and breadth about his wondrous personality. His work and His offices are well worthy of our deepest thought and admiring worship. So this is something that we as believers must practice, that we would consider Jesus, that we would set our minds on Him daily, that we would take the time to actually think about Him and think about what He's done and think about who He is. That is an exercise that is good for us to have as Christians. Now, why... Do we consider Jesus? Why not somebody else? I know we, we usually think about a lot of stuff, a lot of people, all kinds of things run through our minds. Uh, a lot of times we may even spend time sitting there going, uh, well, are the Eagles or the Chiefs going to win the Super Bowl? I don't know. 
let me see, the quarterback's pretty good, and the running back, and, and our minds are consumed with all these things. We're considering all of those things, right, uh, and all those people, and the same idea is being presented here. We need to consider Jesus. He's the one that needs to take up all of our time and attention. Now, why? Well, he tells us. He says he is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Or in other words, he's a better apostle. This is one of the reasons why we consider Jesus is because he's better. He's a better apostle. Now, the word apostle can mean a delegate, a commissioner, an ambassador, or in simple terms, somebody who is sent by someone else or on behalf of someone else. So when we look at the 12 apostles, for example, they were commissioned by Jesus or sent out by Jesus to go heal people, to go preach the gospel. Uh, they, were, they had a specific message to deliver, and they had a specific mission to accomplish. That's what an apostle is in simple terms, without any religious uh, definition attached to it. In, in, in normal culture, in, in Greek culture, an apostle was somebody who was sent out. It could have been somebody that was sent out by the army as a soldier, representing his country. That person could have been called an apostle, right? So biblically, they take the word, and now it becomes a more Christianized type word where we associate it with either Peter or Paul, the 12 apostles. Um, and it became, in the church world, a word that was reserved for those people specifically. But in regular culture, it meant somebody who was sent out to represent somebody else and deliver a message. So when we look at Hebrews 3, we see this word being used of Jesus. He is somebody who has been sent. He's somebody who's been commissioned. He's somebody who has been given a message to deliver and a mission to accomplish. Uh, and we know that to be true because Jesus himself says that he has come on behalf of the Father. He has come to represent the Father. He has come, uh, actually, Reverend Hebrews says in chapter 1, that he is the exact imprint of his nature. If we go to John chapter 1, we see that he uh, is the one who shows us the Father. So when we look at Jesus, we see God. So in that sense, Jesus is an apostle. He is somebody who has come here to represent somebody else, uh, and to deliver a message from someone else, that being God the Father. So there's nobody, nobody, past, present, future, that can represent God better than Jesus can. So in that sense, he is a better apostle. He is somebody who represents the Father in, no, in every single way, and no one else can do that. And he's going to make a reference to Moses, um, and we're going to get into this in a little bit, um, Moses being an apostle, somebody who was sent uh, by God to lead the people of Israel, to accomplish a certain task, to um, deliver a message to them. Moses even brought down the Ten Commandments. And so Moses, in that sense, is an apostle. Um, and the writer who will make that connection, he'll say, well, you see, Moses, Jesus is better than him. Um, as great as Moses was, Jesus is better than him. Um, but we see here that Jesus represents God in every way because he is God. And we're not going to get into all the details of this. My, my point, main point that I want us to see is that no one represents God better than Jesus himself. And that is important for us to consider. That is important for us to think about. That is important for us to set our minds on, to think and go, why do I believe in Christianity? Why do I believe in Jesus? 
Well, one reason is because there's no one else in history that has shown the God of the universe to us the way he has. He has revealed God to us. That's one way, one reason why we consider Jesus and not any other person, not any other God, because he's a better apostle. There's no one that has represented God the Father better than Jesus has. And here we're seeing this with the writer of Hebrews. God has sent Jesus as his ambassador. Uh, He sent him with a message, and he sent him here to represent him to us. Then he goes on and he says the second reason why we should consider Jesus is because he is a high priest of our confession. Now, the high priest, as many of you may know, and if you don't know, this is what the high priest would do. He would be responsible for making a sacrifice every year on behalf of the people. So instead of everybody going into the temple or a tabernacle or a tent uh, to make a sacrifice, the high priest was a representative of the people. So instead of I go and David goes and Char goes, um, one person would go and he would make the sacrifice and there were instructions that were given as to how he had to do it and all these kinds of things. And then once he presented the sacrifice, if it was acceptable to God, the people would receive forgiveness of sins. That's just in a simple way to describe it. Um, So here we're seeing that Jesus is a better high priest, which we saw last week as well. And we'll see again in a few chapters, uh, there's a whole discussion about uh, the order of Melchizedek and Jesus being uh, from that lineage and all these kinds of things. But here we're seeing that he's a better high priest. He represents us before God better than anybody else. You guys are seeing the connection? So he represents God to us as an apostle better than anyone else, and he represents us before God better than any other high priest ever had or ever will. So Jesus, when he gave himself to be sacrificed, not just a lamb or a bull or a pigeon or whatever else was sacrificed by the high priest in other times, he gave his own life. When he did that, God was pleased with that sacrifice, and now we can receive forgiveness of sins and redemption and salvation through faith in Christ because that has already been done. And here we're seeing that Jesus is a better high priest. He represents the people, and our sins go on him, and God the Father punishes him so that we may have life. Who else has done that? Who else can do that? Nobody. So we consider Jesus because he represents God to us better than anyone else, and he represents us before God. Remember, we deserve punishment. We deserve every bit of wrath from God because of our sinful nature and our sinful actions, and yet Jesus took that upon himself. He went into the Holy of Holies. He went into that place, and the writer of Hebrews will talk about this later on. There's so much about this letter that, we can, be, that can be said, uh, but he, he went into that place where that sacrifice was made, and it was over. It was done. No one else could have done that because the sacrifice that God required was very specific. And only Jesus met those requirements to be that sacrifice. So praise God for the fact that we have a better high priest and a better apostle. 
Moses was great. Abraham was great. All the prophets were great. They were godly men. They loved the Lord. They had their faults like everybody does, but they, they were faithful. Jesus was better. And that's what we consider him. We consider him also, number three, because he's a better Moses. This is where Moses comes into the story. It says, speaking of Moses, he was faithful to him who appointed him. Now remember, there's a large Jewish audience reading this letter. Moses is a big figure in Jewish culture. Moses is the guy that led them out of slavery. Moses is the guy that put up with them for 40 years in the desert. Moses is the guy that brought the commandments to them on behalf of God. Moses is the guy who did so many things for the people of Israel. Moses was very, and still is, very revered in Jewish culture. So when the writer of Hebrews writes this, this is a big shock. And, and, and notice that he doesn't belittle Moses. He doesn't say that Moses was less than. Uh, well, he was. But he doesn't say that Moses was, was not a good guy or that he wasn't a faithful servant. He actually says the opposite. He says, Moses was faithful to him who appointed him, to God. Just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. And then he says, I'm sorry, this is Jesus, was faithful to him who appointed him. Just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful, he says it again, in all God's house as a servant. To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if we indeed hold fast our confession, our confidence, and our boasting in our hope. So we see this contrast between Jesus and Moses. The writer says Moses was faithful to God. And he was faithful in all of God's house. Many theologians believe this is, uh, this is referring to the tabernacle or the temple. Uh, that G Moses was, was very faithful in all that God had given him to do. Uh, and, he, and he served him well. But then we see this distinction between the kind of service that Moses did and the kind of service that Jesus does. He says that Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant. And then he says Jesus was faithful in, over God's house as a son. And I think that's where the key is for this section of the passage. We see that Moses was a great man of God who we're thankful for. But Jesus is not just using the illustration of the house, is not just a servant serving in the house of God. He owns the house. He is the son. And by being the son, he's the heir of all things. And we see this in several scriptures, that Jesus owns everything. He owns the house, and he still serves, but he serves as one who is the heir of the house and everything that comes with it. So the writer of Hebrews is painting this picture with this illustration of a house and people living in it to say, you the church, you belong to the Son. You belong to Jesus. Moses never served God in that capacity. He never had that authority. He was a great servant, but Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And here we see that he is over God's house as a son, which I believe is a reference to the church. 
uh, and we can debate whether it was Israel and the church today, but I believe it especially the church. But that, that does include everybody who's ever been a believer. Jesus is over them. Jesus is over you. If you believe in Christ, Jesus owns you, <laughs> to put it that way. We are his possession. We see this language all throughout the New Testament. We are his people that he bought with a price. We belong to him. And that's why we consider him. That's why we set our minds on him. That's why we think of him. That's why we should spend our days pondering about Jesus. And the writer reminds us of that. He doesn't just work in the house. He owns it. He is the heir of all things. And that's why we do this. Notice the last part. He says, we are his house. If we indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So there's a condition there. Those who are holding fast and those who are boasting in our hope, those are the ones who belong in the house of God. In other words, if you are a believer, how do we know that? One of the re- ways we know that we are in Christ is if we are persevering in Christ, uh, is if we are boasting in the hope that we have in Christ, um, if we have confidence in that. So I want to give you three ways in which we can consider Jesus and, and, and they can help us in our daily walk. Um, and we see this right here in the text. Take a look at verse 1 again. He says, Therefore, holy brothers. So he's referring to people that are holy and they're brothers. Uh, so I want to focus on that first word, holy. The Lord, if you've trusted in Christ, has made you holy. Let that sink in, sink in for a second. God has made you holy. We touched on this a little bit at th- on Thursday night at Bible study, and I said I wasn't going to talk about it too much because I wasn't going to talk about it this morning, but when we look at Scripture, we see two things. We see in regards to holiness. One is what some people have called positional holiness, which is when we come to faith in Christ, something happens. We are, our position changes. At first, we are enemies of God. We are unholy people. We are wretched. We're sinful. Uh, we are as, as dirty as can be. But then we trust in Christ. And his righteousness is, another theological word, imputed or given to us, even though it's not ours. It is counted as if it's our righteousness. So when God looks at me, what does he see? Does he see a sinner who hates him? No. He sees somebody who has been made righteous, not because of my own righteousness, because even now to this day I'm still sinful, but positionally In God's sight, I'm holy because he's looking at me through his son. The Bible teaches us that, that we are holy in his sight. And and we think, well, how? How can I be holy in his sight but unholy in my practice? Uh, How can I be holy in God's sight when this morning I just had a sinful thought or I did something really bad? So how can I be holy in his sight? Because of Jesus. Because he is the one who gives us his holiness and his righteousness. So when God looks at me, he sees that. So positionally, I will never, ever be unholy 
in God's eyes. That's never going to change. And praise God for that. Consider that. Think about that for a second. It says, holy brothers, God has made you holy through His Son. Now, apart from Christ, we remain in this position of enmity where we are enemies of God and we are not seen as holy. But in Christ, that changes. And God sees us differently. In our daily walk, we're still sinful and He's still sanctifying us. He's still making us holy in our day-to-day And we see that reality as well in many scriptures where the Spirit of God is working in us and He is sanctifying us and He's purging out all the sin that we have, right? And that's going to continue until the day that we die uh, and go with the Lord until He comes back um, and we have glorified bodies. But until then, we're in this process of sanctification. But if I I were to think, well, I, I really did, I sinned this morning, that doesn't change the way God sees me. And I think for a lot of us, that's a good reminder because we, we sin and we think, well, now I have to do something so I can make sure God loves me the same way he did when I wasn't doing these things. Now I have to kind of clean up my life because God doesn't love me as much anymore. He's upset with me. And we see God the way we see each other. But God is not us. As, as, as crazy as it is to think that no matter what I do as his child, he's still going to see me as holy. Now, does that grieve God? Yes. Does it cause a relational distance between me and God? Of course it does. But it doesn't change the fact that in his sight, because of Jesus, I am holy. So church, if you are in Christ, you are holy in his sight. And then it says, that we are brothers. We have been brought into a family. I think a lot of times we skip over these little things. You know, we see holy brothers and then we go, go on and read the verse. But this grabbed me this week. Uh, not only are we holy in his sight, but we have been brought into a family. A family made up of all kinds of different per- people, all kinds of different personalities, all kinds of different backgrounds. God has brought us into this family of faith. And we have people in our lives that share this common interest. Even though in, in not in a million years would you imagine that some of us in this room would be in the same room um, except for the fact that we love Jesus. Right? You would think, no, there's no way, Jose, that guy's weird. Uh, if it wasn't for the fact that we have this in common, we'd probably never be friends. You'd be like, no, I'm staying away from that guy. Right? But because of Jesus, we've been brought into this family. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal for many reasons. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us of this. We are holy brothers. It says this in Romans 8.17. If we are children or brothers, children of God, then we are heirs. Heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. I mentioned that Jesus owns everything. He owns the house. He is the son who's in charge. And the Bible says we are co-heirs with him. Last week, Pastor David mentioned that he is our our brother, right? And we are co-heirs with him. Think about that for a second. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. We've been made part of this great family of believers 
that's made up of people from all over the world. In church, that is a big deal. That is a really cool thing that we can say that we have gone from being outside of the family of God to be brought into the family of God, and now we share Christ's inheritance. That's big. And that's one of the reasons why we consider Jesus. And lastly, we see this part in verse 1. He says that you who share in a heavenly calling. So he has saved us. We, we've mentioned um, that uh, Jesus has brought us into the family. But here we see this heavenly calling. We're calling here, book of Ephesians, we've seen it several times. Uh, it is, is not our vocation when we say, well, God has called me to be a pastor or God has called me to be a lawyer. Um, that's not what he's referring to. He's referring to God calling you to himself. God saying, arise, uh, come to spiritual life, uh, and God saving you, in other words. So here we see that we share in this heavenly calling. Uh, it comes from him. God is the one who saves. God is the one who does the work. God is the one who is responsible and who deserves the credit for saving me, for saying, Jose, come. I think of the story with Lazarus. Uh, I love that story because I think it's a, a physical picture of a spiritual reality. No, yes, that was a true story, but I think it has a, a spiritual lesson as well where you see him dead for several days and his sisters are saying, well, he's dead. If you would have been there, this wouldn't have happened. And then Jesus shows up, and what happens? Lazarus doesn't come out until he says, come out. And at that moment is when he finally comes to life and comes out of the tomb. And I think that's exactly what God does when he saves us. He says, come, and we come. We arise from being spiritually dead to coming to saving knowledge of him. So God is the one who does that, church, in your life. Our responsibility is to tell and model a Christian life and love people and, and give them the good news. But God is the one who does this heavenly work. It can only come from Him. And we share in that. We have a stake in that. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us of that. He has saved us. We share in this heavenly calling. And if you're here this morning and maybe you don't share in this heavenly calling, maybe you're not a brother in Christ. Maybe you don't know that you're holy in Him because you've never trusted in Christ. I, I want you to know this morning that if you come to faith in Jesus, all of these things will be true of you. You can have the peace that God will never look at you with eyes of condemnation. God will never look at you as someone who has rejected Him, who hates Him, who's an enemy of Him, and does not want anything to do with Him. God will look at you as somebody who has repented, bowed down and said, I, I surrender, I give up. And now you are holy in his sight. You will be brought into a great family with all kinds of crazy things and all that comes with family and brothers and sisters, right? But a great family. 
who share in a great inheritance and a heavenly calling, a salvation that you can't accomplish. So if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, don't hesitate. If you want to approach me or Chad or David, we'd love to talk with you. Somebody you may, you may know in our church that you trust, and, and, and maybe you want to know what, it, what, what do I have to do to have this in my life. Please feel free to come to one of us. I want to leave you guys with a poem I read this week that I, I loved. It says this. When the storm is raging high, when the tempest rends the sky, when my eyes with tears are dim, then my soul consider him. When my plans are in the dust, when my dearest hopes are crushed, when it's past each foolish whim, then my soul consider him. When with dearest friends I part, when deep sorrow fills my heart, when pain racks each weary limb, then my soul consider him. When I track my weary way, when fresh trials come each day, when my faith and hope are dim, then my soul consider him. Clouds or sunshine, dark or bright, evening shades or morning light, when my cup flows over the brim, then my soul consider him. Church, consider Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we pray that you would help us to set our eyes on your Son. We pray that you would help us to consider him. We pray that we would remember what you've done, that you have made us holy in your sight, that you have made us sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. You've saved us in a way that only you can. Father, help us to remember these truths and, to, and that these truths will propel us to consider you every single day. That we would think about you, that we would put you in every single one of our decisions. That you would be the one who runs our life. Father, we pray that you would help us to persevere. As we read in this poem, no matter what happens in life, that we would consider you. I pray for anybody this morning who may not know you. I pray that you would save them. Father, we pray that you would open their eyes to see the truth, to, that they would see their sin. But more than that, that they would see that there's a Savior loves them and who saves them from that sin. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for all that you've done on our behalf. And we pray that you would help us to consider you in all things. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel City Church Podcast. We hope you found encouragement, inspiration, and biblical truth that will challenge you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Our mission is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the city 
and to the church and to see disciples who follow him wholeheartedly. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. This will help us reach more people with a life-changing message of the gospel. You can also visit our website at gospelcitynow.com to learn more about our church and our ministry. Remember, the gospel is not just a message to be heard, it's to be lived. So let us be sent out this week boldly bringing hope, love, and truth to the city and the church. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to next time.